Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, we'll be taking your employees through the program that includes topics on communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem solving, decision making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and we'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. As we begin to transition from a virtual environment post-COVID to one where in many cases many of you will be going back to the office, it may be time to start revisiting if your office is the type of place where people can be themselves. Now, I know that many of you have diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives going on right now, but you know, I think it's much broader than that. My guest today is DDS Dobson-Smith. He just goes by DDS. He is the founder of Soul Train and the author of You Can Be Yourself Here, The Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces by Using the Psychology of Belonging. We had a great conversation, and I really enjoyed this. I learned a lot from the time I spent with DDS. And you know, in a lot of our workshops, we talk about empathy, being able to see something through the eyes of somebody else. Uh, That was something I definitely experienced as we had this interview together. I know you're going to enjoy it, and especially if you want to create the type of environment where people can be themselves and bring their very best self to work, and you are definitely going to want to listen to this, take some notes, buy the book, and actually reach out to DDS for some help. So let's quit talking about DDS. Let's get to talk to him. And you know what time it is. Let's make sure the seatbelt's buckled low and across your hips. Make sure your personal items under the seat in front of you. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. DDS, welcome to the show. Hi, Mac. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really glad that we can do this. We chatted, I guess, about a month or so ago, and you decided you would be willing to be on the show, which we're grateful for. You have a book. It is called You Can Be Yourself Here. I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about your take on diversity, inclusion, Mm. uh, the great resignation, and all things that are of concern to people who are in human resources today. But before we get to those, Uh, Tell us about your background. Tell us how you got started and what you're working on today. Yeah, um, well, thank you. A a month ago, it it felt like last week we were talking, but yeah, I guess time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, so I I set up Soul Trained um, three years ago, uh, which is a a consultancy um, that looks after executive coaching, leadership growth, 
But before that, I had a 25-year-long career in HR, so um, organizational development, learning and development, HR business partnering up to board and C-suite levels across a range of industries, um, everything from retail to travel and tourism to music and entertainment to uh, government um, uh, to retail um, and um, across you know, domestic and international roles as well. Um, and, and before that, I was, um, uh, I, I started out as a college professor teaching hospitality management studies, um, which feels like an, uh, several lifetimes ago. So that has brought you then to what you're doing today. So you're still doing some teaching. We talked about that a moment ago. But you're in a very different area now, and it, I would imagine probably based on your experience in HR. But let's talk about the book. What inspired you to write that book? Well, a couple of things, really, Mac. I mean, my own lived experience as a member of the LGBTQ plus community um, and also my experience as a chief learning and culture officer and and creating um, cultures and climates at, at, at um uh, in workplaces where where people can really belong. And I guess, you know, from a lived experience point of view, um, you know, over the over the years, um, I have often been told, um, you know, could you could you tone it down a bit? Um, you know, could you could you be could you just be a little bit less in this meeting? And um, you know, it was never directly said, but always coded as you know, could you just, could you, could you act a little bit straighter? Mm -hmm. Could you be a little bit more heterosexual? And um, it it wasn't until I was sitting in a C-suite position when a colleague said to me um, before going into a meeting, you know, perhaps it would serve you a little bit less well if you could, if you could tone it, tone it down in the meeting. And, And it, and it, something just snapped in me in that moment. And I was like, what do you mean tone it down? Mm. And I knew what they meant because I'd been told it my entire life. Um, and, but I felt like I, at that point, I was in a senior enough position and had enough inner confidence to be able to challenge this kind of microaggression. And the, and the colleague said to me, well, you know, could you just be a little bit less gay, I guess is what I'm trying to ask you. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them and I said, well, how about you be a little bit less straight? <laughs> and they looked at me and said, well, I don't know how to do that. And I said, exactly, exactly. And, and I, I was sitting there and I was thinking, and, and all, of the, all of the times that, that that happened to me over my career came flooding back. And then, then I thought about, well, if that's happened to me, it will certainly have happened to other people. You know, could you be a little less black? Could you be a little less single mother? Could you be a little less, um, you know, neurodiverse? Whatever it is, and and it's all coded, you know, coded as helpful, supportive. It would be better if you would get a further ahead if. I thought, actually, that's not okay. It It's just not okay. Um, and that was a big motivation behind writing this book, like to give voice to the people that um, and the experiences that might not otherwise have been given voice. And then and then, of course, there's the, the other piece that, you know, I 
had a, as I said, I had a 25 year long career, um, which was really, really focused around organizational transformation and helping organizations to become better, basically. And, you know, I, I, I had a theory that uh, when we go into, when we go into work, um, because of my own lived experience um, of, of being queer, we go into work and we, you know, we cover up aspects of our life, our behavior, our personality in order to fit in, you know, in order to feel like we can belong. And I know as a psychotherapist that that that's a phenomenon that we can call splitting, right? And and I know that that can lead to challenges, mental, emotional health challenges. I also know that when we cover or when we suppress aspects of who we are, it takes an inordinate amount of psychic energy to do so. And, and to keep that up, right? And to remember the version of you, you have to be in this particular situation. Um, and I believed that, um, and still do believe that if we could create a workplace where we didn't have to do that, where we could show up and we could be ourselves, um, that energy that would otherwise be taken up in the act of repression, suppression, or covering would be freed up for the work. It would be freed up for... Um, clients, for uh, relationships, for collaboration, for performance. Um, and that's really where where my research started. And, and that's really where, where the book came from. So that was a big moment for you, where you finally had lived to for a certain... How many years was it that this was like the pressure building before you finally just came out with that? I'm going to say about 20. 20 years. 20 so, years. So for 20 years, <laughs> did you feel as though your creativity, your technical expertise was shrouded by you having to sort of perform for people? Oh, for sure. And and I I I knew I was not being the me I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um and, and and certainly actually that that journey began. I talk about this in the book. There was a a manager that I had at the very, very beginning of my career when I was on a grad development program at the British retailer Marks and Spencer. And there was a there was a senior manager called Paul Smith who who looked at me and he said, I see you. I see you trying to be something that you're not, and I want to help you. And he found budget for me to go and go and go into therapy. So there was company sponsored therapy sessions that I, that, and that was the first time I went into therapy. Um, yeah, it's just, it, yes. <laughs> so the, the push to go to therapy. So what would go through your mind at the end of a, of an evening when all day long, you basically had to be somebody else. How did you, it was there like a transition to the real me. How did you do that? Well, I mean, first of all, I was bloody tired. Right. Like, you know, I, I, I would be exhausted at the end of the day and then I would play over the day over and over in my mind of those moments that I wasn't me or those moments when I behaved in such a way that just felt very out of out of, uh, you know, uh, incongruent to me. And and it would be a lot of analysis, a lot of analysis of my behavior 
Um, and honestly, you know, I, I, I would also say, Mac, it was really hard in that space to know who, who I was, like, what was the, the real me and what was my professional persona? And where did the one start and the one end? And I think because we spend so much of our lives at work, you know, we spend more time with our colleagues sometimes than we do with our kids, our dogs or our partners. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if we're having a rough time at work, um, you know, if our relationships aren't working or if we, you know, have a, a, our bosses on the case or we're experiencing performance issues, then that consumes not only our thinking during the, the working day, but at the end of the working day. And if we're lucky, we won't dream about work, but most of us probably will when things are going, not going well. And so here we have a a life in which it's dominated by work. And so it gets really, really hard to, to, to pull all of those layers back and go, oh, this is me. Um, Because the systems within which we operate would conspire to have us believe that the the version of me is not acceptable to the system. So during this period of time before this final incident sort of puts you over the top, were you successful? Because it sounds like everybody knew because a lot of people told you to tone it down. So it doesn't seem like it was a big secret. But in your own opinion, were you successful before this snap happened? I mean, I was, I was tracking, uh, yes. Um, And I, and I was tracking, I was tracking against all of the, the factors that other people would say success, you know, it's a career ladder that moves upwards only that um, increasing levels of responsibility, better pay, bigger title, all of those things. Um, and it and it hasn't really been until very you know recently in in com- in comparison to a long career, where I I have redefined what I think it means to be successful. And honestly, I think that might have been I don't I haven't really thought about this until you've asked the question, Max. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it probably wasn't. It, it, it was that might have been one of the contributing factors to me stepping off the corporate treadmill and, and, and creating my own business. Yeah. I just wonder because it's almost like you are being forced to work and having to work that much harder to be noticed because being noticed for the wrong reason would put a strike against you. So in a sense, you are successful in spite of what other people thought. And, and so now, I mean, it seems like with the right environment where that piece is no longer an issue, it's almost like somebody just unhooks your leash. And yeah. now you can get out there and go, you know, and be fully who you are. So with all that said, you know, most of what my experience has been in diversity inclusion is really looking at skin color, like who's represented. But this is a different type of diversity that is how long has it been before this has sort of been pushed to the forefront? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think this for me, for me, at least, I, I look back a few years and I look at the Me Too movement um and i look at the advances that we're making in the 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 lgbt movement the gay rights civil civil rights movement and then i look at what's happened over the last couple of years in 
in terms of violence towards the the black and brown and indigenous communities. Um, so um, I think there are some aspects of diversity that are ease, that are visible, and there are some aspects of diversity that are invisible. Um, and um, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know when or how we started to, or or the the conversation beyond color became increasingly prominent. Um, but you know, there there's there there have been there. It, it's only really in recent times when there has been legislation um, that has been either overturned or introduced to bring about increasing levels of equality. So when I think about people that say, well, you know, we are in a, we're in a post-racial America, like we're not because it was only, it was only this year that the lynching of black people was, was criminalized mm -hmm. this year. Right. It was recently, just a, few, a month or so ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a, a, a law in New York State that allowed that was overturned in the last year, I think, that ab abolished um, discrimination um, on on black people's hair, how they wore their hair. Um, it was it's you know we are still sitting here and we are arguing about uh, the rights of trans people. Do they do trans people deserve the the same rights as cisgender people we're still arguing about that mm -hmm. we there are some states in america where um women's uteruses are being legislated about and and people's body autonomy is being taken away from them so you know and, and i'm i go at great lengths in the book to say look this is this this to me is not um, the, the conversation about belonging is not a political conversation. It's not about red versus blue. It's not about who you vote for. It's, it's about no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you believe, you, we all deserve to belong. But I also acknowledge at the same time that it isn't possible to have conversations about inclusion and belonging without also talking about the systemic ways in which people of difference, people from historically excluded communities continue to be excluded by the systems, by the laws and organizations of the land that, you know, that, that, that keep seats of power away from these people. So much of what you just sort of talked about there is what a lot of people, it's bringing this to people's attention that opposition would say, well, DDS, you're just being woke. And I'm sure that's a word that's been thrown about quite a bit in the last few years. So what is your response to that? Well, first of all, I'll say thank you very much because I'm a 48 year old and I don't think anyone would ever call me woke. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I know it's probably not meant as a compliment, but I'm going to take it as a compliment. And that's the first thing that's going to take the wind out of somebody else's sails. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what, what it really means to, to be woke in this situation. I, I think what I'm doing in this space is recognizing that if you are human and if you are harmless, your, your right to psychological safety in this world is owed. It is not earned. 
And yet so many of us need to earn it. So what I'm trying to do here with the book is, uh, along with many other authors and along with many other researchers, is to is to level the playing field a little bit. And it it's not it's not about it's not about political correctedness. It's not about um, you know I, I'm not I'm not arguing left versus right at all. I'm saying we're human we all deserve to belong. And in order to belong, certain conditions need to be present. Yeah, I, I threw that out to you. And I've done that with other guests too, because that is a term that people sort of just throw around. You know, I kind of look at it as it's shining a flashlight into something that's in the basement that you really don't want to look at, but here's the yeah. flashlight like, yeah. oh, now yeah. I'm aware that we have that. Yeah. That's that awareness. It's yes. pejorative because it's been hijacked. Yep. But everything that you've explained to me is that what your goal is, is not special treatment, it's equal treatment and not having to go twice as hard to be recognized for your contributions versus right. what people see when you show up. Right. And on that point, Mac, I, it's, it, I, I would make a slight differenti differentiation between equal treatment and equitable treatment. Okay. So... E equal treatment would mean that every everybody gets treated the same, regardless of their of their background, their uh, and wh where they come from, and the bodies that they're born into. Equitable treatment recognizes that some people in this world are born into bodies that that give them an unearned leg up in life. Um, that the systems that we operate in are geared towards favoring them. Mm -hmm. um, and so equitable treatment recognizes that. So it it's a bit like you, you, you have said rather kindly to me, you know, DDS, you've had to work harder to get success than perhaps someone who is straight has had to do. And that's because the systems in which we all operate in this world are favor heterosexuality. And so those people that are heterosexual um, are treated um, in the scope of heteronormativity. And those people that are queer are treated in the scope of heterosexism. And so when, when, people, when people say, it's a very typical one in, in workplaces, when people say, well, the, the, be the best candidate has to, has to get the job, irrespective of whether they're a a, a cisgender person, a trans person, or if they're black, or if they're white, or if they're brown, or if they're able-bodied, or if they're disabled in some way. And I say, yes, that's absolutely true, because nobody wants to get a job that they don't deserve. Nobody wants to get a job that they're underqualified, underexperienced, and doesn't deserve. But the question that we have to ask is, who determines what is the best candidate, and who is the best candidate? How are those job profiles written? In what context are those job profiles written? Are they written by a straight white cisgender man, or are they written by a by a group of people um, that that can can talk about um, uh, you know a range of identities that 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 would ensure that this job description or this interview process or whatever it is isn't it, it is as is as free of bias as as possible. So. Um, Equitable treatment recognizes that it is it is probably harder for a person that has an aspect of their identity from the from the non-dominant social group 
um, equitable treatment recognizes that it's going to be harder for them because the system is stacked against them. So how do we create systems? How do we dismantle those systems so that so that um, so that those biases are mitigated? Well, there's two more areas I want to explore. Uh, the yeah. first one being so for the person who might be listening to this now that's saying, I don't like the lifestyle that DDS has. I am not going to be doing this. This is my company and I will yeah. do with it what I please. Yes. What would be your business case? Because it seems to me that if your number one reason for being in business is to turn a profit and not make a political statement or whatever it is, what might your argument be to that person who, if they're listening today, will probably unsubscribe from my podcast, which <laughs> is irrelevant to me, but <laughs> I, I want you to make your case for a business case for this, because this might be what people understand. Well, first of all, I'd say, cool you get to do what you want to do and that's up to you. Second of all, I'd say this is not a lifestyle. Um, being, being black, being a woman, being brown, being queer, being disabled is not a lifestyle. It's, it, it is an aspect of who I am and who we are. And it is about being human. And, and then I will say, yes, your business, businesses exist to turn a profit. I can point you in the direction of countless articles, peer reviewed research that will show you why diverse businesses perform better in terms of profitability, productivity and employee engagement. So I don't need to tell you about that, right? I don't need to, I can say, go, go and read it and, and, and read it for yourself. And and I would say at, at the end of the day, whatever your business does, unless you are, well, no, unless, unless you are a sole trader who is doing work in a vacuum by yourself, sitting on a different planet, then your business is going to involve people and your business, your business, your business's ability to turn a profit will be as limited as your ability to think more broadly about your people is. And it's as simple as that. So is that where you kind of include belonging with diversity and inclusion? Is this yeah. what you're talking about? How to create that culture? Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I oftentimes diversity, inclusion and belonging are, are said almost in the same sentence uh, or, or in the same sentence, but almost as if they're hyphenated or, or the same same word. So, you know, di diversity is a fact. There either is or is not representation. And you look around in an organization and you say, are there people like me? Are there people not like me? If the answer to is yes to both of those questions, probably it probably is that you're you've got a you've got a diverse organization inclusion is a set of behaviors um and so and, I, and by behaviors i'm not just talking about interpersonal behaviors i'm talking about the behavior of an organization through its policies protocols platforms um and belonging is an experience and the and there's a whole thing in the book around i i you know i, I walk a visual walk people through a visualization to help them understand what i mean by experience but it's a somatic affective 
sometimes spiritual experience of belonging when you walk into a place and you're like yeah this i belong here and it is belonging it's the experience of belonging that is going to be the thing that drives down your attrition drives up your employee engagement that enhances performance um and um and I also believe that the creating a, a, a climate of belonging is the antidote to this great resignation. But the thing, so you in in order to have the experience of belonging, you have to have the behavior of inclusion. In order to have the behavior of inclusion, you have to have diversity. But diversity doesn't always lead to inclusion, and inclusion doesn't always lead to belonging. Um, and so that's what I talk about in the book is how to create, how to create diversity, how to facilitate inclusion and therefore how to move towards this climate of belonging and how, and what that does in terms of the organizational performance. So a culture of belonging then would be the goal. What might somebody find if they were employed in a place that had a culture of belonging? What would it look like? Well, they probably, they probably wouldn't have the Sunday scaries. <laughs> they they would they probably would be experiencing um this uh this concept of psychological safety um which is you know we experience psychological safety when it's not expensive to be ourselves and when it's not expensive to be yourself then you are more likely to be able to engage in collaboration and conversation and co-creation when i when i feel psychological safety I'm likely to be able to say things like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or I don't know, or I made a mistake, or I have an idea, or I think we can do this better. But if you don't, if you don't feel psychologically safe in, a, in an environment, particularly in a workplace, the likelihood is that you're going to be much, spending much more time in your head, second guessing, uh, covering, and, and, and retreating from the conversation. Yeah. Well, my last question, DDS, is for someone who's listening today that might be thinking, you know what? He reminds me when he talked about that before he had that statement of me. And I'm Ooh. trying to, to keep performing and I'm feeling torn and I don't know what to do. I'm tired of not being myself. DDS, what advice would you have for that person who's listening today? Oh, well, Mac, as you've just said that, I noticed uh, tears come to my eyes um, because I want to say to that person, I see you um, and uh, and I get it. Um, and, um, you know, it sounds really trite to say it does get better, but um, there, there are people out there that will also hold you and see you. Um, and there is there is help that you can that that you can um that you can get and you know i say this really really carefully because i recognize that what is about to come out of my mouth um does so in the scope of my white privilege my my white middle class able-bodied um privilege but i just want to remind people that you don't have to stay somewhere where you don't belong you can go you can go and you can find an environment and there will be environments that will accept you just the way you are. And when and when that happens, you know, when you are able to be your youest you, 
I promise you everything in your life, including you will be gorgeous. That's great. I think that's just the word that a lot of folks need to hear today. That's great. Yeah. Well, DDS, I know I put you on the hot seat. <laughs> but but these are questions that I don't know about my audience because I don't know them. But for me, they're questions I was most curious about. And, yeah. and I learned an awful lot in our time together today, which has been Thank phenomenal. Thank you, Mac. DDS, how does my audience reach out to you? If they want to know more about how do I create the culture of belonging? And then also, how do we get a copy of that book? Yeah, well, thanks for asking, Mac. Um, so you can reach out to me at dds at soultrained.com. Um, also happy to receive texts at 646-270-6113. Um, and the book is called You Can Be Yourself Here, Your Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces Using the Psychology of Belonging. Available where you would normally buy or download books. It's also available in audible form as well. Excellent. Well, DDS, I really appreciate you taking time to uh, spend with us this morning and shine flashlights on things that we probably need to uh, start looking at. We really appreciate you spending your morning with us today. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>